This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 87, with comedian Nick Thune. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneur lifestyle to take your creativity, business, and life to the next level. What is up, everyone? Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and I'm so excited because it is spring here in New York City. I think the beauty is that you forget about how the city comes even more alive in the springtime when the weather starts getting nice. I love it because I get to bike all over the city, get some exercise, integrate it into my lifestyle on a daily basis. I've also been lately getting into Snapchat a lot more, so you can check out. I've been posting some behind the scenes photo shoot stuff, fun projects, and day in the life type of things that you can see behind the scenes. My Snapchat name is The Nick Onkin. We also talk about Snapchat with today's guest and how he uses it for his own media and his own brand. So with that, today's guest is Mr. Nick Thune. He is a longtime friend of mine, actually. I've known him since my Seattle days. We were hanging out a lot back in the day in Seattle. He was working for the Boys and Girls Club, and I was designing graphically, and we worked together on a few projects. And now he has since then moved down to Hollywood, California, and become a big-time comedian. He's done many specials for Comedy Central. He's been on tour all over the world. He is now doing movies and acting and writing TV shows, writing movie scripts, writing comedy scripts, all kinds of things. He's got a hundred different projects going on at once. I don't even know how he does it. In this episode, we talk about how he got his start in comedy and how he did over 500 shows in a year which is how he got his first job in TV and what that took from him. I find with most successful people, there is a tenacity and a drive that takes them to the top of their game. We also talk about how he integrates branding into all of his tours to create a social media reach and amplify the tour. We also learn why it took him a while to be proud of his own work, what his writing process is like, how he pulls materials from life, and his advice for new comedians looking to get in the game, and the role of social media in comedy and building his own brand. And we also learn why you have to be open to inspiration all the time. We also learn what it's like behind the scenes of going on tour as a comedian. And what I really appreciate about Nick is how much he is passionate and how much he loves comedy and it shows through. And that has taken him to where he is at today. So without further ado, I bring to you the one, the only, Mr. Nick Thune. Kings and queens ain't meant to be a pod. Breaking all these things is the ease your heart. Heavy what is up, everyone? Welcome to the show. We've got superstar comedian Nick Thune in the house today. Welcome to the show, Nick. Yeah, thanks for having me. Superstar. Superstar. Mm-hmm. That's right. I'm going to add that to my bio. You, you absolutely should add it to your mm-hmm. bio. 
you know, we've, we've known each other for a long time now and it's been cool to see your growth and, and where you've gotten in your career. And I mean, you've been on so many different shows, Comedy Central, Jimmy Fallon, Coco. I mean, uh, you could probably tell me a lot more, but, Mm -hmm. uh, let's just, uh, I'd love to kind of dive back and, and hear your, your story of how you got, just how you got here. You moved down from, we knew each other from Seattle and, and I mean, when I knew you, you were working at the YMCA. Boys and Girls Club. Boys and Girls similar Club. Thing. Yeah, similar thing. Yeah, I did that for like five years. I was doing that. And if you might, you might remember, I was DJing like weddings and bar mitzvahs. <laughs> That's right. And uh, yeah, we I played in a cover band for a little bit up there. Remember No Oblos? So. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, we were a nice little... Push it. Yeah, we push it. Yeah, we'd push it. Uh, I get up on the bar. That's actually where I did kind of... I think some of my first, my first comedic performances were... Mm. You know, we were being funny on stage as that band, but I remember we would like the, f- the first time we did like an intermission and I decided to do like a planned bit in the intermission where I acted out a scene from Footloose, <laughs> which is like the scene where he drives his beetle up to like this like warehouse and is drinking a beer and he gets out and, and he just is so angry that he starts dancing mm. and he goes into the, the warehouse and he's doing flips and these crazy gymnastic moves and dancing. And, <laughs> and, uh, I tried to like recreate that on stage. And, um, I even had like a car, I'd pulled the stereo out of my car. Like, cause that's back when you could like pull it out, you know, and for safety reasons, <laughs> that's but right. I pulled the, and I had like somebody hold it up. So like I was in my car and I turned the radio on the song started, but that was the first time I really tried to, you know, be funny on stage. I, I think even at church though, growing up, cause we, we, I feel like we met through maybe the U or the N at, at University of Washington. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Which was like a, a church, like Christian kind of like college gathering yeah. at a Presbyterian church by University of Washington. And um, I, I, w- I was also being funny at church. I was like, you know, making announcements. <laughs> I remember that was one of my first things is I, I, they had me make announcements at the college group. And I did this thing called making announcements matter somehow, MAMS, <laughs> where I like took the announcements very seriously and, and would, would do stuff like, Hey guys, I'm pastor Nick. And the head pastor would be like, uh, he's not a pastor. I'm like, well, it's hard to say who is and who isn't a pastor, but, uh, I'm pastor Nick and a couple announcements today. Uh, and I go over like the parking announcements, but, uh, I love it. I think I started to realize that there was something there. Like I had something, I love being in front of people, which Mm. I guess is a rare thing to, to really seek out, you know, I think to just want to be on stage in front of people. I mean, now I guess these days it's a little different with all these TV shows of like the voice and everything where it's like everybody gets their 15 minutes, which I think now it's like everybody gets like three hours. Exactly. Which is way too much time. (laughs) And now there's social media. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but that 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 made me like really want that, and yeah. And then I guess what pushed me to move from Seattle was just wanting something new to take a risk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. So when you when you came down to LA, what was I mean? What was it like? I mean, you came down from Seattle. Did, did you know people? Were you just you were like, I'm gonna be a writer, comedian? What, what no. was your mo? I didn't know what I was gonna be, and I actually lied to my parents and friends and said like a lot of the people that like I said, oh, the Boys and Girls Club got me a job now I'm going to work at one down there and they were like oh no questions oh cool great that make I mean yeah why not give it a shot and I didn't have a job I knew one person this girl named Jane I don't know if you ever knew Jane no and she I knew her through a friend really and 
three days in, I emailed her and was like, Hey, I'm, I'm Evan's friend. And she's like, Oh, I'm actually having a birthday party tonight for me. You should come. It's on a Sunday. So I went and I walked in, Hey Jane, I'm Nick. And she's talking to some guy and she's like, Oh Nick, this is Billy. And and then she looks at me and says, do you have a job? And I was like, no, I don't really know what I'm going to do yet. And, (laughs) and she goes, Oh, well, Billy is a casting director for, um, this new show nanny nine one one. And she was like, you should hire Nick. And Billy was like, all right, let's get coffee tomorrow. And so at 9 a.m. he met me at Starbucks. And after a half hour, he's like, well, you're hired. Let's go to work. <laughs> and just took me to a job. And I worked. That's I started working in reality TV for like a year. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, wow. which was fu- interesting and fun. Um, the last job that I had, I actually met Chris at, the guy I share my studio with here, was uh, I was the production coordinator for Ashley Simpson's 21st birthday. <laughs> on MTV. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Good yeah. Job. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it's a weird way. I mean, you know, when you come to LA and I don't have any education, uh, I didn't go to college. I, you know, it's like a matter of, I really quickly realized that none of that matters in this business. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. I was just immediately lying about what I could do and getting hired to work. And that's mostly reality TV. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, a week after I started working on 9911, I was in Memphis, like Memphis alone with a camera going into these families' homes and filming them for a day and then sending the tapes back to ABC, you know, to see which family was going to be on the show. Wow. And they were like, yeah, can you work a camera? I'm like, yeah, shit. Yeah, I can work a camera. <laughs> like, all right, you're going to Memphis. I'm like, all right. Awesome. <laughs> you know, you just kind of talk your way into anything and you have confidence, which yeah, is mostly how things have happened for me, but it's not necessarily a, something to suggest to other people. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, it's something that helps. Tell me a little bit more about that. Like, cause you know, you came down here and you pretty much jumped into it right away. And that's, yeah. you know, having confidence and, and talking to people is huge. But then also, you know, you come down to LA and like everybody's uh, does everything right. Yeah. Everyone's like, doing it. And, but just like how you started, it's one thing to want to do something. And it's another thing to just do it. Yeah. Whether or not anyone's asked you to, whether or not anyone's hired you. Yeah. Just do it. That, there's no other way to begin. Yeah. And so if you don't buy a camera and start taking photos or you don't go on stage and start telling jokes, then you're not a photographer and you're not a stand-up comedian. It's like, right. you know, and, and the only way to get better at it is to do it every second that you're alive. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and it, and that's what I did. And luckily I didn't have like a girlfriend at the time or a, now I have a wife and a child and, you know, a home and all these things. But then I had n- I, nothing just, yeah. all I had to do was try and do the thing that I was trying, you know, yeah. to, to do. And since I didn't go to college, it was like right now, all the people I know are in school. I might as well just shoot yeah. for the fucking moon. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> see what happens. So you were, you were working the, the nanny nine one one and doing stand up at nights and writing as, yeah. When I got down here, I didn't know how serious you had to be about stand up. Like I didn't know like how often you were supposed to do it. Mm. And I did it for like once a month. I got here in August and until December. And then right before I came home for Christmas to, back to Seattle, I, um, met another comedian because I was doing like poetry and musical open mic nights. Cause I didn't know I was a standup <laughs> yet. I just really was like, I love performing and, and at a musical or a poetry thing, I was basically tricking people by going up there and acting like I was a very serious <laughs> performer and then adding this like subtle jokes into it and which would go well because they weren't comedians. So they didn't like, they weren't sitting there judging me and hating me. Yeah. 
And so then I met a comedian at one and I was like, that's crazy, man. Do you ever do this? And he's like, well, yeah, I do this and I do this. And found out he was going on stage like five nights a week. And I thought, well, shit, I got to figure that out. And so I went home for Christmas and came back and decided that that next year that I was going to um, do everything I could to go on stage 365 times in that one year. Yeah. And I ended up doing it 570 times in that year. No way. And, and that was just like basically just working it and every, you know, and at that time it was like sometimes doing four minutes and I'd have to pay $7 and, and that's an open mic and you're performing in front of comedians and, or there was this place called Marvin Mary's, which was in like, <laughs> uh, this like cop bar off mm. Washington over in like Culver city, Venice kind of. And it was a place where there would be maybe two cops sitting at the bar drinking mm-hmm. and there was a sign up list seven nights a week for comedians. Wow. And if there was no one there, there was no one on stage, but you could sign up and maybe there'd be eight people there, sign up, go on stage. And then once you get off stage, sign up again. And like, those <laughs> were the nights where I would count, like I would have counted that as one show, but yeah, doing it multiple times there a night, but just really, it was important to get on stage, do it and get off stage and then re-listen to it. Mm-hmm. Record it every time, re-listen to it every time. Yeah. Make adjustments and try again. Yeah. You know, and just boom, boom, boom. And, and that's, that was that whole year, really. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. I, you, you don't hear stories like that. And I guess, I guess you do, but like most of the stories you hear when you're down here, you're like, oh yeah, I'm this and this and this. You don't, you don't hear the stories of people day in and day out and the dedication of doing it. And that's. Well, you know, I also got really great advice right before I moved down. I met one time with an acting coach Mm. in Seattle. And at the time I was doing like a five minute song on stage called the peanut butter and jelly song. (laughs) I remember that. Remember that? And instant messenger. Yeah. Instant messenger had started a little bit and she said to come and perform for her. Just, she wanted to, cause I told her I'm going to LA over the phone. I do this. And she's like, well, bring your guitar and let's talk. And so I went and played her the peanut butter and jelly song. And afterwards she was just staring at me and she was like, when you go to LA, she goes, I'm not going to charge you for today. I don't want to do anything else and tell you what I'm about to tell you. When you go to LA, stay under the radar as long as you can do as much, do that as much as you can perform. Don't let anybody see you. Don't try and go up at the Hollywood improv or the laugh factory. Don't try and go above where you're worth. Just stay below and stay under that radar until you're found. Don't Hmm. force it. And that whole year, that's what I did. I mean, I wasn't performing at comedy clubs. I was performing at Hallenbach's sandwich shop off Magnolia in North Hollywood. I was performing at the worst places, the best places, (laughs) the place where I met all these people that was great. And, and then that, after that year, that January, I happened to get invited to do a set at the improv and went on stage and walked off stage in my set. And the manager was right there. And he said, Hey, I'm, I'm Jesse. You're a regular here now. That was an amazing set. I'd love, I'd love it if you would send in your availabilities and maybe we can put you up a couple times a week. Awesome. And that's like the thing that as a young comedian, before you're a regular at a comedy club, that's a big, that's the first step to being mm. a comedian. You know, I mean, yeah. the funny thing is, is anyone that goes on stage and tries to tell a joke in front of an audience is a stand up comedian. I mean, that's technically it right there, <laughs> but to get, permission to perform at a place where the people that you idolize have their names on the bill, you know, the thing out front. Yeah. So that was big. And the next day, I mean, this is crazy how quick it happens. The next day I got a phone call at 10 AM from that guy. He tracked my phone number down at the improv and he said, Hey, listen, we recorded your set last night. We have it on tape. We record a lot of the sets. 
And there's this festival called the HBO Comedy Festival that hmm. takes place in Aspen every year. HBO puts it on. And I'm like literally Googling it as I'm on the phone talking. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, I know this festival, you know. Like on the front page is Chris Rock and Jim Carrey. It's like, what? And he wow. goes, they do a thing where they bring five new young comedians every year and they call them like new faces. And they do these showcase shows where industry comes and they see them perform. Hmm. And uh, we want to show them your tape from last night and see if you could come. Would you be willing to allow us to do that? And would you be interested? And I was like, sure, great. And he's like, all right, I'll call you back after the meeting. And I guess he must have walked right into a meeting. <laughs> and an hour later, I get a phone call. You're in. That's amazing. And that day, my voicemail was absolutely full from every agent and manager in this town. All of them. Wow. Because it was like, they make the announcement to people who the new faces are. Mm -hmm. And then everyone's like, wait a second, who's this guy? <laughs> Never even heard this name. Like, it's what? And and all these assistants are scrambling like, oh, I don't, you know, like the manager's like, how, do you, how come you don't know who this guy is? Why haven't I met with this guy? You know, like, <laughs> and, and so by the time Aspen came around, I'd hired an agent and a manager and a lawyer and all these things. <laughs> wow. Just, it made no sense to me what they were, why I needed them. It really was, it's a whirlwind. Yeah. And went to the festival and signed a deal with Comedy Central at the festival Amazing. to do it, my first album and to make these short films for them. And it just was like that, you know, and it, and it, and then I did the tonight show, I think a month after that. That's insane. And then I did it again three months after that. And it just started to like, you know, change, everything changed. Started snowballing. Yeah. And it, I mean, I really hit it at, at a time where thank God I was, it, it was that time. I don't know if I could make it now. It's such a different landscape now mm. than it was then. I mean, I guess I would have adapted. I don't know, but yeah, you know, I could, I could have never planned any of that. Yeah. But the advice that that woman gave me it's huge. was the most crucial thing anybody did. It yeah. was like, don't, cause a lot of times in the city, when you're seen by somebody, that's it. They've seen you. Yeah. You can't done. go get better, come back, you know, and there you can, you can rebuild things and become better and be seen. And it takes time and you have to like kind of earn that back or something. And I think mm -hmm. I'm even doing that. Cause I think I got some things before I should have. Yeah. Like I got put in the movie knocked up almost right after that as well. I went and met with Judd Apatow and they put me in, they wrote a, a char new character into a scene for me <laughs> and I showed up and next thing I know I'm in a, a van getting taken to set with Seth Rogen and Catherine Heigl and it's 106 degrees in a parking lot in the Valley. Wow. And I'm like supposed to just improv a scene with these people. And I remember like that was way too soon. I didn't, I was so scared and nervous. I didn't know yeah. what I was doing. And, and the funny thing is, is they ended up cutting me out. They ended up cutting a lot of, you know, like, I think they, there's a lot of people that were cut out of that movie. But I think the funniest thing about me being cut out is that you still see me for a second and it looks like I'm going to talk, <laughs> but I don't, it cuts away from me right mm, away. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> and I didn't know that. I thought that the scene was like, I didn't know how movies work. I figured I'm just in the movie. So the movie came out, I was telling my friends and family and people were like, <laughs> actually it's, you're not, um, you, I mean, you're in it, but, but the great thing was when <laughs> I got, when it came it. out, job. <laughs> <laughs> see that hand when it came out though, I, I, somebody like emailed me like, listen to the director's commentary. And for that one moment that you see me, uh, Seth Rogen goes, Oh, and that's Nick Thune. He's a really funny comedian. I was like, well, at least I got that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, let's go back a little bit. I mean, look, full year, over 500 shows. What did it take for you to push through that? I mean, God, there, there must have been like, it had to be hard at some point. It was a point. thrill. I, I, I remember that year, like 
just a whirlwind of just the best year of my life. Really? Just working those jobs, reality TV. Mm-hmm. This one, the, what's one job I got hired for was off a reference. A lot of these jobs you get reference and it was for a pilot for public television in Maryland. And it was a show about Ben Stein helping people with credit problems. And I get a call and like, Hey, we heard about you from this guy. We need to cast one family for the pilot. We've already got one that we found on Craigslist by just posting a thing. We'll pay you 1500 bucks a week to find a family. So I took the family they found me and then worked my ass off on stand-up comedy for the next three weeks and then emailed them the same family that they sent me and said, I think this is the one. They were like, great. <laughs> <laughs> and so like, I was like getting these weird production jobs that were paying good enough money for me to live in an apartment. And then at nighttime I could do whatever I want. And yeah, I mean, I remember one of the jobs I had, I was using the copy machine to print out flyers for a show that I was doing <laughs> and bouncing jokes off one of the guys that worked in the office next to me. And it was just like, yeah, it was so exciting. And I'd be in my car at night and I'd drive to a, a bar in Burbank and, and do a set. And then I'd, I'd, I'd hightail over to Hollywood and get on the back end of another show. And, you know, it was sometimes three shows a night. And then sometimes you don't do a show a night, you know, and, and it just, yeah. But every day I remember just thinking about the night before and slowly as the day built, as I looked through what I'd done, mm-hmm had new ideas, the excitement for what I got to do that night was just growing and growing and growing. And it was, yeah, it was just a, it was a blast. That's cool. So your perspective going, like going from show to show to show was like, you're just having so much fun. I was in the car listening to my set that I just done and thinking about what I'm going to do next show, you know, and then getting there and you see your friends and there's this buzz of like, when are you going on? When are you going on? I just did a show here, you know, and it's like, everyone's like just kind of getting into the scene and, and some people just explode out of the scene. Yeah. Like for when I, when that happened to me and I got to that festival, it was almost like I was at an open mic and a limo pulled up and they were like, uh, Mr. Thune. And I was like, yeah. And they're like, you don't need to come here anymore. Come with us. <laughs> and it was just like, they pull you out, you know? And, and so you see that happen to friends and you get bitter. It makes you, makes you excited. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different feelings of jealousy, mm-hmm. just all these, you know, and it makes you, makes you want to do it. it makes you want to be there. And so, it, you know, some people it holds them back and it, Gets yeah. frustrated and, and all it ever did for me was just make me want to try harder, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you, you try and it's like, they don't know about me yet. They'll know, <laughs> you know, you yeah. get all these, these narcissistic, I mean, you actually have to be a maniac. You have to be a maniac to think that you're going to make it. Yeah. You have to be so comp. You have to think that you are going to sell out stadiums someday Yeah, in somewhere in your mind to push yourself to do this ludicrous thing. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, yeah. Yeah. But so. I, I guess if you have the, the perspective of flying under the radar, then that's, that will shift you the whole entire way. Yeah. But also I'm never good at following what people, t- you know, <laughs> I mean, so you get times where you're like, God, maybe I should go hang out at the improv and just like meet the manager. You know, like you start doing all these, th- you, you, you try to, and then you're just like, no, I'm not going to do it. I get embarrassed or, you know? Yeah. 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 So now, I mean, that's, I mean, because you hear a lot of like musicians, you know, going to open mics and like, you know, that has to be, it sounds like it's a bit different of a, an, an energy there. Well, it's a whole different way of, you know, for musicians going to open mics, like they're looking to record songs and make an album, right. Mm. That they can show people the live performance helps them build a persona, helps them get better at mm-hmm. that. But that's, I mean, I wonder how often now musicians get found in an open mic rather than a, an album that they make that gets put in the right hands 
Yeah. And they think, oh, that's either really good or we can reproduce that and make it good or we can take this artist and do that. I think where stand-up, it really still is hit at a club, you know, yeah. and, and some the right person seeing them. Yeah. I mean, now there's the element of like YouTube and mm-hmm. and for bands too, or, you know, musician going on The Voice or, you know, I mean, there, there are yeah. all these new ways to do it. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, like even right now, like a Vine star which is such a thing to me. I, I just can't stand it. The whole, the, <laughs> yeah. the whole vine thing. I just, uh, there's some funny people out there, but also there's just a lot of people that are recreating old jokes and yeah. Like I'll watch some vine joke. I'm like, that's a George Carlin joke. You can't just re-record a George Carlin joke on your vine and not say this is a George Carlin. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, to me, it's like the fuck Jerry Instagram or like the, the, the fat Jew, like, it's just people that are repurposing things at this point that, you know, they're getting all this fame and notoriety and it. Yeah. Crazy. It's just kind of easy to believe people that not even ask questions. I don't think anymore about where the content came from or what originality even means. So now you're constantly writing all the time. Yeah. Writing, whether it's stand up and working on that, you know, because now you can like break it down into different careers, you know, that, that I'm running, which is like such a weird thing, but like, stand-up comedy, touring, it's almost two different things. Yeah. And then being an actor or a writer, doing a commercial, you know, Yeah. being a father. There's like all these different things that are actually like full-time <laughs> jobs, you know, that you're trying to do. And that's the funny, I mean, that is the other thing about stand-up is it's like, oh, you can tell jokes. And this comedian, Mitch Hedberg, had a really great joke about it. He's like, oh, you're a farmer? Well, can you cook the food too and like serve it to us? You know, like... We want, we don't just want you to do one aspect of what it means to be a performer, like a stand-up. We also, can you write a script? Yeah. Can you act? You know, can you do all these things? Which is great. I mean, and I've, it took, you know, acting has taken a while to, to work on and get better at. And, yeah. and it really is this thing, that, you know, I think a lot of comedians, sometimes you just get an acting gig because of what you do on stage and it doesn't always translate, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. So it's taken me time to figure out the differences. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm always working on multiple different projects when it, with all of those aspects, you know, like yeah. whether it's like writing a TV show or working on my next album. Um, yeah. All that how, stuff. how do you balance it all? <sighs> it's tough. <laughs> it's not like it's tough. It's just, it's tough to, f- it's tough to really prioritize, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, but like right now I've been doing a lot of touring and my new hour is really, I, I'm like, I like where it's at. And so it's a good time for me right now, these next few weeks off to work on this TV script that I'm writing. So mm-hmm. like, you know, focus on that. Yeah. But then still going up at night, doing stand up, not every night, but I don't do that as much as I used to when I'm in town. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, you're at the bigger, you're going to the bigger places now, I would assume. If, yeah. You know, if I want to, but I don't like to do that all the time. Like I did do a lot of shows at the improv last week, but I prefer like kind of dive bars and stuff around the area that I'm living in that are good shows, you know, like some of the best shows in town actually. Oh wow. But they're like alt indie kind of like, like there's a show at a comedy bookstore that it's a very pop. It's the most popular show in town. It's called meltdown. Okay. And they actually have a show on comedy central that I was just on this last season where it's kind of capturing this whole like backstage at a comic book store, Mm. this like weird kind of like punk comedy scene way that they put it. (laughs) Punk comedy. You know, just the way like punk rock used to be in like some dingy little room somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of what it is. Absolutely. 
What's it like going on tour? I mean, it's, you know, it sounds like a glamorous life from the outside, but it's, it's your day in and day out. Yeah. You know, it's fun. It just depends on how you're doing it. Like I, I've got no place where I can bring people with me that I like to open for me, Mm -hmm. which is really fun. That's cool. And I've seen some of those people like really get successful, which is nice. Yeah. This guy, Ron Funches actually, that is on that show on Dateable. Okay. He's from Salem, Oregon. He started opening for me. At one point, I just bought him a pair of shoes because his shoes were so horrible. Like he just, <laughs> and now like three years later, he's a star of a network sitcom. <laughs> it's crazy. That's awesome. But when he was opening for me, he was like, he was so funny. I mean, almost hard to follow. So funny. Yeah. And it's so great when you see someone like that, like hit it, you know, it's nice. Yeah. That's great. That's he has an great. autistic son, like wow. 13, you know, like, yeah, it was great. It was really fun to see a bit. That's crazy. So, but that, that's what's nice about touring is having yeah. funny people around you. Yeah, and you can probably riff off them, and and makes the whole thing better, makes the shows better, and also it's fun, you know. Like it, it, like I'm I'm doing really interesting tours now, where I used to just do comedy clubs, which got really boring for me. Yeah, because you're going to a place where maybe half the people are coming for you. You're doing like six shows. Yeah, and the other half are just people that are like. Oh, I heard there's comedy here tonight. I wonder who's on stage or a bachelorette party or, you know, it's like this kind of yeah. corporate comedy scene. Whereas I've been starting to do like rock club tours, mm. which everyone that come it's, they're there specifically for me. So it's like, it's, it's just comforting. It's nice. You know, it's yeah. just like, you know, that you're not dealing with some loud bachelorette party in the back or, yeah. you know, a waitress serving food and some dude eating like fish, chip, fish and chips in front of you while you're tra- <laughs> yeah. you know doing your job. Yeah. Do you organize the tours or is it put on by a sponsor or something like that? Um, I, or my, my agent puts them all together. Yeah. Like mm. that. And there's usually promoters we work with. Yeah. Oh, gotcha. I just did a really fun one where I just did Florida. Like I did five nights in Florida <laughs> in different cities and That's drove around to like cool rock clubs. And it's funny. It's almost like Alaska. Like, cause when I went to Alaska, people are like, why are you here? <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for coming here. And it was like that in Florida. People were just like, why are you in Florida? Like just, I mean, I understand one show, but five <laughs> in Tallahassee, what are you doing here? <laughs> and do you do that just because you love it? Or is there a strategy to that? To me, there's, it's a branding strategy. It's like fun. It's, I had a lot of like fun promoting it by like, cause yeah. I went there in August. So I called it the hot as hell tour. <laughs> and it, it was, the picture was that Chris out there designed it was like, me with a, a, a lone palm tree and I'm walking naked through the desert. And it was like, you know, like, so for me to brand a tour, it first of all makes it seem bigger than it is, which is this kind of funny thing. Like I figured that out immediately. Like, oh my God, if I just, if I have a tour poster, it's already five times bigger than me going to play this place <laughs> because everyone sees it. Yeah. It's a, it's like, it's a time stamp. It's this thing. Yeah. And then a lot of times I'll get them screen printed and sell them at the show. And people are so willing to buy a piece of art oh, cool. that's made by like this Chris and then this other Chris Klosterman and then this other guy, Dave clock, who does mm. this really great design. And then he screen prints them in his, his own studio. Oh, that's awesome. So you get like a, you know, one of a hundred yeah. piece of art and it's nice. Like, so cool. Yeah. And, and they're not like, I don't know, I really take pride in that kind of thing. And I mean, you knew me from the beginning and I, I, when I moved to LA, another thing that really helped me was you designed my first website. Yeah. And when I came down to LA, I had that website and that show at the improv, I had, I had a calendar, tour calendar on my thing. And and every now and again, I put shows on it, but I put the show at the improv that I had. And then 
the show, I had a show, they booked me that night that I did really good. And he shook my hand before they called and asked me about the festival. He said, uh, come on Friday, eight o'clock. You're on the eight o'clock show. It's like, great. So I put that on my website. <laughs> and when all those agents and managers were like, who is Nick Thune? And they Google me and they're like, he's a website. I mean, no one had websites. Like, like Dane, <laughs> Dane Cook had a website. Right. And my website was as good as his, which is crazy. Yeah. But I happen to have friends that could take pictures and design a site. And it just was like beyond what people had. So I think that also was part of the allure of how I made it so big so quick mm. because everyone was like, how do we not know who this guy with the website is? Because this was 2004, you know? So it was yeah. like still, it, it wasn't like there wasn't Squarespace or all these things where you could, anybody could just design a decent website within two hours. <laughs> right. You know? Oh, I know. I, I, was like, I put that thing together. Yeah. That thing was a labor of love. <laughs> yeah. You, that was where it took like your friend two months to do it and you had to call him five times <laughs> yeah. a week to be like, hey man, are you still doing the site? Or, exactly. I know it's for free and everything, but. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. But that, that, that's always been so important to me, Brand. And I think I learned it from people like you. Yeah. And our friend Cody and like these other people where the way that you're seeing, you know, with Instagram and Twitter now, you can really put in a, a brand or an image. I hate yeah. that word brand, it, like using it as an artist. It, and I don't even consider myself an artist, but to use something like that, it's like, yeah. I hate that word, but it really is important. Yeah. But it's helped you so much. Yeah. It's been crucial. And like how, I mean, you said you're branding your tours or your, like, how's your brand changed, you know, in the last few years since when I met you? I mean, that was... It's elevated now. Yeah, it's elevated a lot. Like I, it, like even now, like I did a tour, my European tour I just did, I called it American Babe and Chris designed it and it was Kate Upton's body with my head on it. Like it's actually <laughs> that head me smoking on like Kate Upton lying on the beach <laughs> and it said American Babe. And now people on Twitter are constantly saying, when are you going to release American Babe? Like people just think I, that's my album now. That must be the two, you know, but that's how you know a, a brand works when somebody is asking yeah. About where is this? Where can I see this thing that I just saw an image of, you know? Yeah. So that to me is like, that's when you see it, it working really well. And I did, you can see right here, this is a, a picture of this talk show that I was doing for two <laughs> years in LA, this live talk show at a theater. Yeah. Yeah. And we branded the hell out of that thing. And it, I mean, there's videos online still, it's called Nick's big talk show, but oh, and like yeah. this guy, Kyle is now on SNL, No way. you know, and everybody's really kind of like moved on, but it was a really fun thing to make a once a month live hour long show and bring all my creative friends like Chris and my videographer friends and my director friends. And, yeah. and we all collaborate and make something that is visible and, and you, you have a product. And, yeah. and that to me was the same as doing open mics. Cause it was just at, at upright citizens brigade theater, where it's like this really small theater that has become really big, widely known. Yeah. Yeah. Just this month. Yeah. Anyway, we did it and it was fun and, that to me is, is what I love right now and mm. is to just tr trying to create something. Yeah. You know, sounds like collaboration is huge. Oh, big time. And to have people that you trust and that know you and know your voice and know, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure cause you work with people over and over again where you, they just know what they're going to get from you. They're like, yeah, I know he's going to get me. He's gonna make me look good. Yeah. Cause I had this one photographer once that I worked with and Sometimes like it was weird, but the angle or something, my head just looked bigger. <laughs> and I noticed that in a lot of his pictures and I was like, oh, I just don't think that's the look I like. I don't like the big head look. I'm going to go with a different guy. <laughs> yeah, you might, you might need to like change it up. Yeah. 
<laughs> I've actually heard though that that's sometimes for like using a, the wrong lens for the distance that you're away from somebody or something. Somebody tried to describe it to me. Yeah. They're like, if it, they're like, if you're going, it's like, if you wanted to do a close up, but instead you just took this, the, the wide lens and got close to somebody. <laughs> Which works sometimes. Yeah. If yeah. It's yeah. the right context. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Now we, I, mean, I remember this time we were, I came down, I was, I can't remember if I was living here. I think it was before I was living here and I came down for a visit and you took me to this party and, and we, you, you put on ace of bass over and over and over again until somebody yeah. noticed. Well, I had a, I used to, I used to burn CDs for parties like, <laughs> with different songs and I would, I would put like ACDs or, you know, ace of bass, 16 tracks of ace of bass, but like the seventh track I would throw like Jesse's girl, just some, you know, like one song to where like maybe by the sixth time someone hears it, they're like, wait, has it been, I saw the sign for a while. And then all of a sudden Jesse's girl comes on like, oh no, they're switching the songs up. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then no, nope, ace of bass again. Yeah. I do remember this. I do remember this guy though. After the sixth time, he's like, oh, this is my jam. Yeah. And he was like, yeah. Yeah. Like it, it probably need probably was not his jam until he'd heard it that many times in a row. And then he's like, man, I love this song. <laughs> so good. So good. yeah, those are my, like, that was like me pranking people. <laughs> do you still do pranks now? No, I don't. I mean, I, especially, I hate the whole prank culture on like YouTube. Mm. I just hate like, Hey, let's go out and pull people's pants down on Venice Boulevard and watch one of us get knocked out. You know, like <laughs> it's like that's not a prank. You know, you know, I I don't know. It drives me nuts. Yeah. There are still creative things, like this show Nathan for you. Have you seen that on Comedy Central? I heard about it. I I haven't seen it. It's absolutely brilliant. This guy Nathan Fielder. He's from Toronto, and it's a brilliant series. You should check it out. Anybody should. But yeah, it's it's kind of like a bigger version of pranks. Like he, mm. he's the guy you probably saw on the news that did the whole dumb Starbucks thing where think, he made a, an art installation, which was a Starbucks location titled <laughs> dumb Starbucks. And I think I remember that actually. They didn't get arrested because it was an art installation under the parody rights. Oh yes, I did. But it made like this. national news, but like that to me is a, that's a prank. Yeah. That, you know, going up and yeah. Doing something to some, like kissing a girl that doesn't know you're going to kiss her on Venice Boulevard is not a prank to me. Not so much. No. So what, what kind of, I guess, what would be one of your favorite skits that you've done? Well, I really like this video I made called Disarmed, which is, I broke my arm in Tampa. Was this on the Hot or Not, hot, hot or not tour? No, yeah. not on the Hot or Not. No, I do <laughs> forgot about that. No, I broke my arm in Tampa um, two weeks before I was shooting my, or I, I forget how long maybe six weeks before I was shooting my hour special for Netflix in mm -hmm. Brooklyn. And so I broke my, my elbow on my wrist in one fell swoop and, uh, had to postpone the special. And then the next week I was in Chicago and I just shot a movie in Chicago and the, the producer came and, and I was telling him, I was like, God, I really love to like make a documentary about me breaking my arm and like make it a big deal, like make it seem like a really big deal, like <laughs> to postpone my special and all this stuff. And he's like, well, I, I know a guy, the camera and, and come by your hotel tomorrow. And so the next morning at 11 a.m., like a film crew showed up in my hotel. I had that morning, like drank a mimosa and took a, I think I was taking Percocets because of my arm. <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Because in, in, in Tampa, they'll give you any drug. They give, you know, Florida, they're just known for like giving people the worst prescription medications. <laughs> and so I got Percocet, which my doctor here was like, I would have given you Advil. 
<laughs> I wouldn't even given you Vicodin. <laughs> yeah, I had a mimosa and some Percocet and I wrote like an outline to a script and then made this like 12 minute short film that I'm just so proud of it because, and I just put it on YouTube. There's nothing special about it. It's called Disarmed. But it, to me, nothing feels better than taking something that happens to, your, to you in your life and immediately turning it into an, a creative outlet mm. and, and then coming full fruition and making it a piece, like making it something, you know? Yeah, yeah. And whenever people come up to me like after a show and they say that they've seen that, it always makes me like kind of beam a little bit like, you saw my best work. <laughs> that's you know, awesome. Like I'm glad somebody saw it. But yeah, so that's, you know, it's little things like that that I'm proud of. Yeah. I, I got my last, my Netflix specials on vinyl mm. and I never listened to it on vinyl. And I just got this like in this new studio space and I finally like brought my vinyl machine, you know, my record player in and, and I put it on just thinking like, I'm just going to hear, I just want to listen to two minutes and just kind of like hear if it sounds different than the digital as here, you know, cause vinyl does sound nice. Yeah. And I, I listened to the whole thing. I sat there listening to it and I, and it was like, it was a, it was like listening to a different version of yourself. It was two or three years ago that I had recorded it. Wow. I don't do any of the same material anymore. Forgot that I was doing half of it when I was listening to it, but it was just that like, it was almost like nostalgia, but like, Oh, I worked really hard on that. You know? Yeah. And I was like, it was like a moment of like, good for me. Yeah. That I'm glad that I did. I'm proud of it. That's awesome. Which it's so funny. It took me that long to be proud of something that I made, <laughs> especially as significant as your second album. But and why do you think that is? Well, when you do it, you're too close to it. Mm. My first album, which is called Thick Noon. That last one is called Folk Hero. This is my second album. This one's called Thick Noon, but I recorded it in Denver for Comedy Central Records. Yeah. And a week after I recorded it, they shipped me nine CDs. Five of them were the shows that they recorded. And then four of them were different versions of what they thought the album. They, they just did it that quickly. Wow. Different versions of how they thought it could all cut together. Yeah. It's really... You tape five shows, which is too much. One show is the show. And then certain parts from other shows that stood out, you can pop in, mm. you know? So when you do an album, you're doing, you'll perform the whole album at a show. Yeah, it's just straight. Mm. So that was five shows in a row I did it. Over th three nights in Denver. Got it. My Netflix special was two shows. In Brooklyn, just back to back. That's oh, wow. it. But yeah, but I... I uh, Getting that in the mail, though, a week after recording it, I just it sat in my office for three months. Every week I get an email. Hey, what's up? And I'm like, oh, sorry. And I just couldn't even face it. Really? I couldn't. No, I was too close to it. I didn't mm. want to hear myself. I didn't want to be disappointed in myself. I didn't want to think. I don't know, you know? Yeah. And then finally, I just said, just put it out. I don't care. And I listened to it. And I've only heard, I think I've listened to it all the way through. At least I've heard tracks, yeah. you know, or different things. Sometimes they pop up randomly on my radio, like <laughs> you're listening to Sirius or something, but which I always hate too. <laughs> immediately change it. <laughs> That's awesome. What's your, what's your writing process? Like, I mean, from starting a skit or, I mean, I guess it's probably different for scripts and, and comedy skits, right? Or do you just get inspired and you just like blast well, it all out? I'll give you an example of a joke that's one a joke I'm very proud of just because of how it, 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 it was the whole process in one moment of, of writing where 
at the time I was doing these things for Jay Leno for mm -hmm. the tonight show where once a month I got to do a five minute sketch on just live me, me, uh, talking about one subject. And usually I go in every month, pitch them three ideas. They'd say that one. And then I had one month to create five minutes of primetime network television. Wow. Which was exhaustingly fun and challenging and m doubting yourself multiple days, putting it off for days when you're not supposed to just deciding to get high all day on smoke a <laughs> joint and just like forget <laughs> that you have to do it. And the next day wake up like, Oh, why did I, I should have got high today and wrote it yesterday. What was I doing? <laughs> you know, like, and, and so one of the bits that I did was about daylight savings time about how much I hate it. <laughs> and I did all this research and I found out like 1918, it was because of the farmers and, and it was so they, you know, it was lighter earlier when they got up and that I wanted it to be lighter later. You know, like that's what I, that's what we, that's what everybody wants. We don't want to get dark at four 30 yeah. or five. You want to, you know, so I was like looking at all these angles and I remember right now I was sitting on my patio drinking a coffee in my underwear and a t-shirt, which is a way I like to write sometimes. <laughs> and I was writing, I was just handwriting cause I handwrite everything and unless it's like a script, sometimes I'll handwrite a script and then retype it or something, but handwriting it. And I was re getting really passionate where I just make myself write for 15 minutes nonstop. Doesn't matter if I'm writing about the thing or not. Yeah. And I, and I just started a sentence enough is enough dot, dot, dot. And I just sat there and looked at it. And then the next thing I wrote is it is, it's the exact same word. <laughs> and I just looked at that sentence enough is enough pause. It is, it's the exact same word. And I just thought, that's a joke. That is something I know that I can take on stage. And it turned into like the whole, I think the whole joke is enough is enough. It is, it's the exact same word. It's spelled the same way. Sometimes when people say enough is enough, I feel like they're just realizing it for the first time. And they're just like, you're goddamn right. It is, you know, I don't know whatever the way that whatever, and it's not going to come across right now, like it would live or the timing and but once you kind of, for me, once I realized my timing and my cadence, mm. I could see something on a page and think, yeah, I get a laugh on that. I can make that, I can stretch that into something and then hopefully turn it into something a little better. Mm. So in that moment, I saw something that I knew would work and I knew I could make better. And that to me is like the reason to write a joke. I mean, the payoff and to think how many, it probably took me five days of walking away from writing and not wanting to write to one moment, just say 15 minutes right now. That's all you have to do. Just go. Mm. And then at seventh minute, just there's something. And then what if you just did that all the time, you know, and then, so that's when I start making notes like, okay, 15 minutes a day, just at least, at least 15 minutes of just mm. no holds bar this. But the other way that I like to write is I will listen to my performance. The most recent one, whether it's a night of or before or whatever, and it's just so easy to edit yourself, you yeah. know, when you're like listening and you're like, you hear the way you say something you're like, nah, pause. No, don't, you know, like, yeah, here's the right way to say that. And then just go through, I could, I mean, I've, I have before spent two hours going through five minutes of audio from the night before. Wow. Because I've found so many different avenues that are possible to go down, you know? Yeah. So that's the other way. The other way is too, is to just be walking around and see something and make a note, something about what I just saw there 
whether it was an interaction or a, or just a, you know, I think yeah, like one, for instance, another joke that I wrote that I, I really am proud of is I was at a, in line in Starbucks and I got up to the counter and they were like, is that all? And I said, no. And I, there was all these gift cards sitting there and I just grabbed a handful of the gift cards. I go, I think I'll take these two. And I just put them in my pocket <laughs> and she goes, well, you can't just take. And I was like, well, there's no price tag. <laughs> you know, I was kind of like doing a bit with her, but I was also exploring like what would happen. There is no price tag. These are just empty gift cards. And so I remember like that moment making me laugh <laughs> and I didn't take the gift cards, but I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought, you know what I'm going to do is I'm, and it was, it started with a prank where I email, I sent a friend a mail in the mail and I just said, Hey, you know, hope you're doing well. It's been forever. Have a drink on me. And there was a Starbucks gift card in there and it was an empty card, <laughs> but there's no way of knowing that, you know, that he can't, they can't tell. So. A week later, I get a phone call from the guy inside of Starbucks and he's like, did you put any money on this thing? <laughs> and, and I then curated probably a two to three minute joke that's on my album from that, you know, cause I sat down thinking like, what's a funny situation to send this and, and develop, you know, and, and it all just kind of panned into a joke and it started with seeing, thinking, doing, trying, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you experiment with your, with new stuff? on a small scale to see how to get reactions or you just take it and run with it. It's hard to say because if I'm doing a show where someone's paid 20 bucks to see me, I don't, it's, it's hard to think that they should see me try something. Mm. I mean, they're going to see me take risks and find new moments, but you know, it's hard to like, Hey guys, part of this might not be good, but I'm going to go for it. You know? Yeah. I mean, well, if you say that, then it doesn't work. You just try and naturally kind of, put it in there and see what happens. And yeah, the first joke that I wrote that I did immediately that worked better than anything I'd ever done was that that sandwich shop I mentioned in North Hollywood. And I was in the bathroom and the comedian before me was on and he just did three minute sets and I could hear him. And I've been thinking about this sentence over and over again. This is open mic. I was not very good. And I kept thinking of the sentence. I walk the other day, that this, that my roommate walked in on me while I was masturbating, you know, like that, that common thing. Yeah. You know, like it happens to people maybe, I don't know, or you just think about <laughs> it. It could happen. Right. And I was like, what? my, my roommate walked in on me while I was masturbating. I was thinking that. And then I thought, Oh wait, no. The other day I walked <laughs> in on my roommate while I was masturbating and I had that thought, you know, <clears throat> guy got off stage, ladies and gentlemen, Nick Thune, like literally rushed on stage and said it. Said the joke just that same way. My roommate walked in on me while I was masturbating. Oh, I'm so sorry. I said that wrong. I meant to say I walked in on my roommate while I was masturbating. Huge laugh, <laughs> applause. And then I had nothing to follow it with. No, nothing else that I'd ever written was even on the same level as that joke. Mm -hmm. Whether you think that's a good joke or not. For a while, that was the joke when someone's like, oh, you're a comedian? Tell me a joke. And now I'll just say, fuck you. <laughs> but at that point, I would have just been like anything to make a laugh. And, even, and, and that, that one sentence could make a person laugh at a mall at 12 in the afternoon. You know? It's true. So that was that, that moment of writing. But <laughs> not that proud of that joke, to be honest. But, you know. It's still funny. Yeah, hey. still funny. I remember that joke. It was one of the first ones. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, I remember you came out and saw me. You actually saw, I think you saw a bad, a show I did not like in New York. 
where I played like the Bowery Ballroom, maybe. Yeah, it could have been. I opened for the Mates Estate, that band. This, which is just tough. It's tough opening for uh, a band. <laughs> I got better at it, but I think you saw me in the first leg of that tour, and I was still trying to figure out because you know, like you get on stage and be like, "Where's Mates Estate?" It's like, "Give me a shot. Just give me one shot." <laughs> <laughs> oh my god like who's this guy talking this sucks we came for a band yeah that's that's some high expectations mm-hmm. <laughs> now does a lot of your stuff come from just your life in general i mean you're i i watched the mikey eating a brownie story on on fallon the one you did yeah it was how you said that was that's a longer story right yeah i mean it's like a 15 20 minute story if i'm really getting into it on stage but that was just a five minute version. You know, it's crazy how that came about was, so Mikey died, not because of that, not because he ate a weed brownie, but, um, my dog did eat a weed brownie <laughs> that happened is a horrible night. <laughs> and you can see the story on the tonight show, but that happened. And, and I guess six months later he died and for different oh, reasons, for different reasons. And it was a very sad, it, it's yeah. the saddest thing that's ever happened to me, wow. you know? And, and it, it crushed me on a level that I can still have a hard time with. And cause it was yeah. a tragic death. And the day after he died, I started shooting a pilot for NBC that was produced by Amy Poehler mm. and with like Natasha Leone and Fred Willard and Marla Gibbs and Ellen Burstyn. It was like this crazy, crazy show. And I sent my wife up to it before I was, before I had a, no, it was while we had our son. I sent my wife and son up to Seattle that night on a plane. Just mm. said, I can't, I need to focus. And I actually rented a room at the Chateau Marmont and just lived there for a week while I was making the show. Not living well. And uh, halfway through the week, there was this live comedy show and I just wanted to get on stage, like really bad. I just needed to somehow, mm. I don't know. I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I called up that show, the Meltdown show that I was telling you about in the comic book store, my friend that runs it and, this guy Jonah Ray and he said yeah come on down you know we'll give you a set and so I walked there from the chateau and and um had planned on possibly crying on stage possibly grieving on stage I didn't mm. know I never done anything like wow. that I didn't think it doesn't sound like a good idea but I, at the time it sounded like something that might help me mm-hmm. I was a little drunk stoned I think and so I called a friend and I was telling him as I was walking there and he just said I just got to say Nick I think it's a horrible idea he said no one is there to grieve. Literally every single person is there to do the opposite of that. And someone there might be in the midst of grieving right now, maybe even for their dog and you going on stage and, and, and expressing that is not what your job is. Yeah. And he said, if I were you, I would, do you need to talk about Mikey, which it sounds like you do. What's something you can say about him on stage. that's funny or good. Mm. And I seriously was like, Oh, that he ate a weed brownie. Okay. So I went on stage and I told the story of him eating a weed brownie. And one month later, I told it on The Tonight Show. Oh, wow. And the turnaround on time on it was amazing. I actually went out to, because Jimmy, I've known for a while. And they called me like, hey, do you have a set do you want to do? You want to do a set? And I was like, uh, I mean, I have one that's new. <laughs> it's a little different. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, all right, well, they brought me out to New York and I did it on like I did it one night for, or I was already going to New York for some reason. And I, they had the guy come out and watch me at the comedy cellar. And I did that set and he was like, yeah, man, I think it's funny, but I just don't think we can do that on TV. And I was and this guy, 
this guy's really smart and I really respect him, but I was so kind of headed. I was like, I think that's the exact opposite. I think that, that this is talking about marijuana, medical marijuana, mm-hmm. which is huge right now. And I think that it's talking about an irresponsible guy, you know, and, and there's some heart in the story. And I think that it's very vulnerable and I think it's something unique to be on television. And I think it's even more unique and bold that it's a five minute story and not five minutes of jokes. Yeah. And, uh, and so he thought about it and he called me and he's like, yeah, you're right. Let's do it. And so, yeah, just went and did it. It was very nerve wracking. And my wife hadn't heard me do it yet. And she actually asked me not to because she wasn't ready to see this because we were hurt so bad yeah. for Mikey. Yeah. And so I just told her she had to trust me and that, and she called me that night after she saw mm. it, you know, and she just said, you're right. You're yeah. Thank you. That was, you know, and in a way it was kind of like a tri- It was a tribute to Mikey for sure. Yeah. You know? But but it was also, you know, that unique kind of like making the, um, the broken arm video. It's like what that story came out of and then how quickly it got seen on a national level mm. was just so crazy to me, you know? That's insane. You know, and it was awesome. It was so fun and it was exciting to work on. Because remember the week before doing it, it was like the old days where I was running around performing three times a night and, and just running the story and listening and working on it and just breathing it, yeah. living it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I, I just can't I have this like image of this dog eating a VHS size <laughs> pot brownie. It just keeps making me laugh. But yeah, yeah. It's a funny joke that's come out of that VHS thing because I did like a younger audience once, I think a college or something. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned it was a VHS size brownie. I was like, you might not know what a VHS is. <laughs> um, imagine eight Apple TVs. <laughs> <laughs> But with the same amount of content as a VHS. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So we're about to wrap up here, mm-hmm. but what, you know, what advice would you give a young comedian getting into the game? I mean, especially now that the game has changed with social media and, and all, and it's different than from when you were in, when you got in. Yeah, I would say make sure you're funny. <laughs> <laughs> don't waste anybody's time. And yeah, I mean, it really, it just goes back to, I mean, it's something I learned like watching the, the Jerry Seinfeld, remember that the comedian, that documentary he did mm-hmm. where the most fascinating thing he said was like a doctor goes to school for however many years until they're called a doctor. Mm-hmm. Like you're not called a doctor the second you decide to be a doctor or the second that you start school to be a doctor. You're called a doctor when you earned it. The only way to earn being a stand-up comedian is just walking on stage. So the second that you do that, it's like you just went through, it's almost like, wait, you just earned a degree and now you're doing it <laughs> like that quickly or stand-up. Yeah. You know, so you, you kind of are given this title uh, immediately. And, and the only way to do it is to then, once you become it, to then go through those years of school, mm. you know, I mean, essentially, which is what doing open mics is and yeah. You know, now with social media, it is a totally different game. Yeah. And you have to really be involved in every single aspect of it. I mean, even if I had like one of my openers that I had that was going around me was didn't have an Instagram account. And I was like, what are you doing, man? It's it not only is it a hassle because I can't tag you in these photos that were taken. (laughs) (laughs) But what are you supposed like? That's how you're out there. You want people. People are going to think you're funny and they want to follow you and see your daily updates. You know, they want to they want you whether you make them laugh or not. Yeah. And it, and it really does kind of create, I mean, here's how powerful I think that stuff it's, I mean, for me, it, 
when I was doing that Florida tour, mm -hmm. I rented a Camaro. <laughs> it was dumb. And at the time I was really obsessed with that song from Fast and the Furious 7. The, um, oh, it's been a long road without you, my friend. You know that, you know that song? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And I'll tell you But I just got obsessed with that song because I thought it was so silly the way it, like, it would be behind videos. Yeah. And so every day for my shows, I was making an Instagram video with that song in the background that I was editing on my phone and shooting with my opener. And a lot of them were in the Camaros. We were driving to the next city. And I found that in, in Instagram, if you flip the video, it mirrors everything. So everything's backwards. So like I'm driving, but it looks like I'm on the other side. It looks like I'm driving a, a, a European car right. essentially. Right. And so we started hashtagging the videos, European Chevy, European Camaro, <laughs> reverse steering wheel, like just the stupidest thing. Right. But every night at the shows, people were like, where's the Camaro? And then like after the show, you'd go on Instagram or Twitter and there's like 15 posts of people posing by the Camaro out in the parking lot. And it was just like. What a cool thing. That's such a dumb thing that we were laughing about in the car. Like people think this is the European Camaro, <laughs> you know, like, and, and it was so silly, but it, to me, the way that it allowed me to interact with my fans and the way that it like kind of created this like silly, even more branding to this tour. Yeah. It was fun and exciting. And the funny thing is, is the last day we were driving from St. Pete beach to Tampa. It's a half hour drive. And right when you're leaving St. Pete beach, there's a bridge and we had been driving this Camaro and we kept it under a hundred the whole time. My opener was driving it. This guy, Greg, Greg Barris. And the, and we go around the corner and he goes, I'm doing it right as we're going up on the bridge. And he just dropped it. And we just, we're, <laughs> next thing I know, we're at 108 miles an hour. And then boom, explosion. The tire explodes oh, in the middle of a bridge. We get over, we have to get AAA and then a tow truck. And so the last shot that we have of the Camaro is, out the window and I'm, it's like, you know, just like country that we're driving by. And then I pan down to the side rear view side mirror. Cause I'm in the passenger seat of a tow truck, the rear view side <laughs> mirror. And you just see the reverse Chevy reverse steering wheel, European Chevy on the back of a tow truck. And with the song, it's been a long road. <laughs> and to me, it was like, everything just came full circle. Like there couldn't have been a better scripted ending to that. You know, and the last like, people at the last show, I was like, first of all, I just want to say rest in peace. <laughs> and people were like applauding, you know, and it was just like this fun thing that kind of happened, but that's amazing. So to interact with people and, and people on, on a, on a social network is very important, obviously, yeah. especially now. Yeah. And I'm lucky enough to have enough followers to where, you know, building it is tough. I think Twitter, it's like hard to reap, to build it right now. It's like hard to become. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're the first person that told me about Twitter. I think that might, I remember I was like, I just signed up. I was like, you got to get on this Twitter. Yeah, thing. you did. You text me. I was like, what? I, I mean, I think I was on it. I, we were pretty close to the beginning of it when we got on. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> I didn't either. We were just like, you're like, it's a micro blogging. I'm like, what? And you're like, I don't know. Just write stuff. I'm like, all right, <laughs> just I'll write, follow you. <laughs> just write, write funny stuff. <laughs> yeah. We're following each other. And yeah, it was so weird. Oh my God. Twitter, social media, Snapchat. Are you in the Snapchat? I've been experimenting with it and, and with some good, I, I just did something on Easter Sunday that ended up getting like 6,000 views per part of the story. Oh, wow. Whereas the ones that we're doing before, we're getting like 500. But huh. I just started, cause it's like, you know, 
the nice thing is I can start it because I, I was doing just specific stories every day where they're jokes. Like one day I did a thing where I was like, I think I might be a toothpick guy. I don't know if I'm a toothpick guy, but I'm just going to try it out all day and see it. <laughs> so like it was just updates all day with me and the toothpick and, <laughs> and it was silly, but it like, you know, it was kind of fun. And then on Easter, I did a whole bit about, because my parents were visiting and like there was a contest between me and my dad for our Easter outfits and whose was going to be better received at a brunch. And so like, I was just kind of filming him all day getting dressed and stuff anyway, <laughs> but it got like 6,000 views per, per segment of the story. Wow. That's awesome. So, but you know, what you do is you go on Twitter and you say, go on Snapchat to watch my, and you know, on Twitter, I've got like 90,000 followers and you go on to Instagram and promote it. And hopefully that's when you start to get yeah people jumping onto the other formats. Yeah. That's what I've been trying experimenting with getting people, pushing people through, but I feel like people aren't like Twitter is so, I think it's, it, I don't read it that much these days. I, don't I keep do, up but. on it just because I have, you know, I do to promote and everything, but I think it's on its way down. Instagram's up and but I think Twitter's still pretty powerful as a news source. People making comments about things like, you know, interacting with celebrities. It's so easy on Twitter if you just do it right. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's so simple to, to get response. And, and I've met so many people through it that has helped my career. Oh, wow. I mean, it, I mean, I think I've gotten full ad campaigns because of the amount of people on social media. It's like, that's a, that's part of the resume now. Yeah. When they go to a company and they're like, this is, this could be your next person in this commercial. Here's how many Twitter followers they have, you know? And, and so like when you do the commercial, there's, you have a certain amount of tweets you have to post or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, it's part of the deal. Yeah. I mean, I had an agent tell me recently, like, listen, you've got over 75,000 Twitter followers. It's time to start talking about a book idea. I'm like what? And he's like, yeah, we can get you a deal. Huh. I'm like, huh? Crazy. Well, go get me the deal and we'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> how do you reach out to celebrities then? Or what's you? You just tweet at them, respond to them, you know, like. It's, it's just that easy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I, I get musicians, like a music, I've had a few musicians follow me just because I like tweeted at, responded to something they posted. And the next thing you see, like so-and-so follows you. Huh. Like Ryan Adams, for instance, I was at a bar in New York and he comes out of the bathroom like Ryan Adams. Holy shit, man. I'm Nick. And he goes, yeah, Nick Thune. Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? And he's like, well, I follow you on Twitter. And I was like, oh, why well, follow you on Twitter? He's like, yeah, I know. That's why I started following you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> that's totally crazy. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, it's like a bar that he has part ownership in. And I was like hanging out in the back of the bar with him and his buddies. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That, that start, you know, I think mean, that was Twitter right there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, it's, I got a pitch. Well, you're welcome. Out, you're welcome. By yeah. The way. <laughs> you're the one that brought all that. I threw out the first pitch at a Mariners game. Based on Twitter. No way. Yeah. Huh. By just for two years, relentlessly attacking them. <laughs> and then finally they just gave in. <laughs> oh my God. You Good. can see my 30 for 30 for that. Actually, it's on YouTube. I made a fake little 30 for 30 about me throwing the first pitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I'll have to check it out. One last question I'd love to ask all my guests is what, what does the phrase live inspiration mean to you? Well, I guess to me, what live inspiration means is to, I mean, the only way to live inspired is to just be constantly looking for, you know, like just like what I was talking about, like you know, the Starbucks cards or something like just being constantly open yeah. to something changing your day mm. or absolutely changing everything that was happening to you in that 
you know, I mean, like that's, it's as silly as, as, as social media or so Snapchat. Yeah. You just get like a stupid idea and you start running with it. And the next thing you know, you've got, you're interacting with like 300 people across the world for an hour on a stupid idea that you had, you know, it's yeah. like just being open to that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, Nick, thank you. I acknowledge you just for all the hard work that you've done and, and the difference you're making in the world. It's awesome to see. I'm so happy for you. And yeah, thank you. Um, I'm as likewise <clears throat> thank as you. well. Thank you. Yeah. It's, that, that was kind of fun catching up today and thinking like, wow, it's just not that long ago you were pick, taking pictures of me jumping off a railroad in Seattle. <laughs> as, as Nicholas Ivan. Yeah, Nicholas Ivan. <laughs> so where can people follow you, consume your humor on the interwebs? Yeah, and then it's just everything's kind of across the board. Nick Thune, like NickThune.com, Twitter, Nick Thune, Instagram. Perfect. Snapchat. There's a, there's a, there's two other Nick Thunes that I know of. Oh. One of them's a pastor in Cleveland, <laughs> and that's Nick underscore Thune. And then the other one is uh, the son of Senator John Thune of South Dakota. Oh. He was a baseball player in college. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, there's another Nick Onkin, and he's a Mormon. I think he lives in Los Angeles, actually. We're friends on Facebook. Man, you and I should reach out to the Nick Onkins and Nick Thunes of the world. And it's like that one, like Peter Johnson or something. Have you heard about that in London where there's like this name that like 200 people have? And they meet up once a year. <laughs> no, yeah. that's hilarious. It's pretty funny. That's awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of Shop Talk Radio with comedian Nick Thune. I'm your host, Nick Onkin. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you could help us out by leaving us a good review over on iTunes so that it gets higher in the rankings. And also share it on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, all the social media outlets. And also, if you're wondering what to do on the in-betweens of paid jobs, last week's episode was on exactly that and how you can get through those times. ShopTalkRadio.com slash EP86. And with that, go out, create your life from creating every moment, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>